we start to see a lot of distributed generation solar on homes and batteries and electric vehicle charging and the ability to deal with those varying load flows, we're going to need more and more assets like this to be able to manage that kind of a system. This is Energy Cast, and I'm Jay Downhower. Today we're talking about a better way to black start. We discussed black starts during my DARPA profile in episode 95. That conversation was focused mainly on the effects of a cyber attack on the grid and how to bring back generation when all the power is down. A black start. Black starts are notoriously challenging to accomplish. How do you bring power back if nothing has power? Also, electric generation has to grid form so that all generation matches up. My guest says that severe natural disasters like hurricanes and wildfires can knock out the grid to this extent. Their solution, he says, is a mobile container that can be rolled up to a power plant and facilitate this black start independently. This often is called an islanded mode, where the power doesn't match anything else, at least until the disaster subsides. It's a solution they call a microgrid in a box, and it could have ramifications beyond natural disasters. My guest says the technologies they developed to make power plants black start capable could also help manage the variability of intermittent rooftop solar or EV charging. Is this team's hope that this mini microgrid could mean massive advancements for our energy security? My guest today is Kurt Myers, Energy and Grid Systems Integration Group Lead at Idaho National Laboratory. Kurt's team developed the microgrid in a box and tested it at a hydroelectric plant near Felt, Idaho, about an hour south of Yellowstone National Park. This location was important because hydroelectric, especially run-of-river plants like this, do not have reservoirs to throttle power. The INL team was essentially taming a wild river to restore that power. Kurt and I got into some serious technical concepts, and I was grateful to him for letting us take a step back to understand some of these concepts for some of the less tech savvy. (laughs) I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kurt Myers. Kurt Myers, Integration and Grid Systems Integration Group Lead at Idaho National Laboratory. And Kurt, before we get into your solution, this microgrid in a box, let's explain what your team is solving for. What is a black start and why is it so difficult to start up the grid in this way? Sure. Black starting is the process of getting particular generators to grid form you know, and start sections of the grid by themselves and then starting to couple those in with other generators and sections of feeder lines and distribution or transmission systems, whichever part of the grid you're trying to restart and reform. I've had a little bit of exposure to this when I covered the Radix program where they simulate a cyber attack and attempt to black start. This is at a facility off of Long Island. And I think that was really focused on cyber attacks, right? But a black start isn't always a cyber attack. There can be a number of reasons for that. Can you kind of take us through what scenarios grids would have to experience a black start? 
sure. Yeah, there's all kinds of natural weather events and things that can cause grid outages as well. We've seen lots of those things happen over the last 10 years or so. Wildfires, tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, high wind events, snow and hail and all those kinds of things as well. So lots of possibilities. And that's why things such as microgrid in a box and localized microgrid and generation systems are becoming more and more important because sometimes it's hard to get distribution lines and transmission lines back up and running and it takes some time. So the ability to be able to do these islanded or smaller pockets of grid systems or even, you know, across sections of distribution that remain standing and have the potential to be operated, you can utilize these kinds of assets to help you restart and run your systems in islanded modes until you get the rest of the grid put back together. Yeah. So let's go into the microgrid in a box. You demonstrated it. It's also known as the Rapid MIB at the Mm -hmm. Fall River Electric Cooperative Hydroelectric Plant in Idaho. (laughs) I've been up that way. Wife and I did a anniversary trip. We stayed in Victor and did Yellowstone. So I'm familiar with that area. Yeah. Good living up there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Really uh, nice scenery out there, too, where we ran best. Yeah, you couldn't ask for much better. So this hydroelectric plant, why couldn't this plant come back from a black start on its own? And what did the MIB do to make it so that it could? There were two different aspects to that. One was the Runner River hydro plant design and implementation itself. That particular system was designed to be ran only in a grid tied mode. So basically grid following. So all of the controls, all of the protections were put in place and designed to only allow it to tie onto a grid that was already formed in there. So the ability to black start it, we had to bypass and project to help get some of the governor controls and things upgraded so that it could respond better when it was running by itself in an islanded mode. But we also had to bypass and change some of the protection systems to be able to make that system actually grid form and black start, even just its localized system, and then energize the distribution line coming from that, moving up to other sections of load. And then the microgrid in the box was there to connect in with that once you black start it, you have minimal load on the line so far, then the idea is you tie in an asset like a microgrid in a box. And it's basically just a fast response. You know, it helps with the stability of that small islanded system because a runner river hydro has a tendency to kind of wander around. You hit it with a big load step, the frequency dips down and it takes some time for it to come back to 60 hertz and then settle back in. And in particular kinds of load scenarios, it may never settle back in by itself. So you put an asset like a microgrid in a box battery, grid forming inverters, very fast response time to help in those two systems together and provide a more stable system at 60 hertz frequency. Kurt, what do you mean when you say an asset like this is islanded? So that means that it's not tied to a broader or a bulk grid system. You're running a smaller section of the power grid or even just an isolated, say you've got a building level microgrid, you're just running the building with its own localized generation. And that could be any kind of mixture. It could be diesels, it could be a natural gas generator, it could be batteries and solar, it could be some small wind mixed in there in the future, possibly some fuel cell or other types of sin fuel assets. And we're even exploring microgrid systems with small microreactors into the mix of the system. You mentioned you had batteries on there. And I think that's key, right? The idea behind a black start is that if nothing has power, (laughs) right, Right. how do you bring the power back on? You have to have a little bit of power just at least get the control systems and all that sort of thing on. But you said you also had batteries in this microgrid in the box. Tell us a little bit more about the new technologies that you incorporated to make all this work together. So the newer technologies are the advancements in the battery storage systems. This particular system is portable or, you know, redeployable. So it 
doesn't need to be a fixed asset. Kind of the nice thing about that is utilities or users may have changing needs over time. So maybe you put it in one location for a couple of years and then find out that there's another location that has a bigger need for it and you relocate it there or in the event of a disaster relief scenario, you're able to move it to that localized area where the support is needed. The inverter technology, they're microgrid, grid forming capable inverters, have a lot of the control features embedded in the primary controls of the inverters. But then you have to also supplement that with a microgrid control that does some of the things that you would normally do in a grid tide or an islanded long-term operational scenario. But then what we're doing with our research and development on top of that is layering in additional advanced controls to help with that control and management of the systems when you start coupling together these things like runner river hydro or small nuclear microreactor systems, combining that with solar and electric vehicle charging and other things that are really a bit more challenging to manage because you have a lot of variable up and down of the generation and the loads. Yeah, not just hydropower, wind, solar, diesel, small modular nuclear reactors. Is there any limit to how large a facility could be? I mean, again, <laughs> you know, you're trying to have this where it's mobile, it can transport. It couldn't be just like a large power plant, I take it, right? You can stack these in parallel and get into a pretty large system. It just comes down to the size of the switch gear and the connection devices and mechanisms to tie that system together. And then, of course, you know, the grid system that you're trying to tie into or operate in conjunction with kind of drives the limits. So you're probably not going to do an 80 megawatt battery system that's really big, but we can imagine systems. We're doing systems with the military that are fairly sizable. You're talking multiple megawatts. The scenarios you really see this for things like disasters, being able to roll this in, being able to give that kind of functionality to power plants that wouldn't have it, right? And it's mobile because you don't always need it to just sit there. Otherwise, you'd build that in there already, right? Yeah, we kind of envision a mixture of you're going to have some fixed assets that may be similar, their battery storage with advanced inverters on them. But these deployable or redeployable assets are a nice feature to have as well. We're envisioning a mixture of as we start to see a lot of distributed generation solar on homes and batteries and electric vehicle charging. And when you start to get to really high levels of localized generation on distribution systems, the load flow characteristics have changed dramatically from what they have been or what they've been in the past. And so the ability to control voltage and deal with those varying load flows and loads on the system, we're going to need more and more assets like this and the advanced controls and coordination to be able to manage that kind of a system. How would this be different from battery storage that's doing, say, load following or frequency regulation? So this can do frequency regulation or volt bar, or it can do both at the same time. A lot of the systems that are mostly in use across the utility grids are generally doing a slower response time. They may even still be in grid following mode, and they're just getting power and bar commands on a regular basis, maybe seconds, minutes kinds of responses. We're talking about getting into scenarios where you need those assets to be in a full droop grid forming mode or a really fast frequency wide response because seconds or tens of seconds is too slow. Say you're done with the emergency. How would a microgrid reform with the grid after it's over with? So it may be in a grid forming mode running islanded. You would go across the synchronizing breaker or contactor, or whatever you have in your breaker or switch gear arrangements. And it will sense that the grid's back on the other side of that breaker. The inverter and controls will align the phasers and then reclose the breaker. 
And once it senses the state of the breaker and then switches back into whichever mode you've set it up to go into, possibly in the future, maybe it actually stays at grid forming full droop mode, or maybe it falls back into more of a grid following fast frequency watt type of a mode. But we envision the ability, like you have with a lot of larger generators that are on the power grid now, they are running in droop and you can change their settings to provide more power or less power or different response characteristics. And that's really where a lot of the research and development is, is the ability to modify settings on the fly while you're operating to get the best response and the best controllability across the whole system. I'm sorry, I'm not familiar. What's a droop setting? That's basically a curve-based response. So if grid frequency goes up, the controls will automatically reduce power because you're providing too much power into the system. If you're thinking of it as the RPMs on a fuel generator, the RPMs are too high. I got too much power, not enough load. Thanks for that. I just want to have a background on that. (laughs) And if it's too low, below 60 hertz, that means the RPMs are too low. There's not enough power being supplied and there's too much load. So you have to speed those up and push harder, you know, with your prime movers. If it's a synchronous generator or your solar or wind or whatever, you have to throttle up the inverters if you have room to throttle them up. But that depends on if you're running curtailed slightly and have room to move up. If you're already running at maximum power, then you need these things like battery systems and other things that can respond and provide that additional power into the system. Tell us a little bit more about INL in a broader sense. Your lab appears to be the experts on black starps in a number of scenarios. So in addition to the microgrid in a box, right, what else is INL working on in that space? So there are a lot of things going on at Idaho National Laboratory. We're one of the main nuclear energy laboratories within the Department of Energy System. We have our Homeland Security Directorate that does a lot of cybersecurity and grid security type work, and then our Directorate, Energy, Environment, Science, and Technology. And we're working on these mixtures of power and energy systems and how to integrate and control and optimize those kinds of systems. And that includes thermal systems, hydrogen production, all types of mixtures and combinations of energy resources and end-user applications. A lot of things going on at the laboratory and all different aspects related to these energy systems and manufacturing and other end uses. And so how do we think we're going to expand on the microgrid in the box program? Where would you go from here? We're in the process of doing some of the technology transition with some industrial partner interests. Also, you know, continuing to work on the research and development related to the controls integrated into distribution grids. A lot more work to be done there. And then really exploring the potential of applying these systems and improving the controls to run in these different mixed energy systems. At least in my group, one of our big priorities is we do a lot of work with the military and other government customers, and we have a lot of remote power systems that are run mostly or totally on diesel resources. And so there's huge opportunities to integrate and put in clean energy systems, and that could be a mix of micro-reactor nuclear, advanced battery and inverter systems like microgrid in the box, solar, wind, desalinization systems, heating and cooling systems of different types, and being able to put that together so we can really reduce the supply chain challenges and the costs and the emissions associated with running things on liquid fuels. Yeah, and I know that that's a lot of kit to just have in one place if you're never going to use it. But I also think that this exercise maybe shows how lean you could have this kind of equipment, right? You can have it down literally to a box. And so Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, not only would you only wheel it out if it was needed in an emergency scenario, I think you're also probably demonstrating to the industry that they could have all of this functionality in as small a tight a package as a box. And so why wouldn't they go ahead and have that? 
on the premises maybe in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And the idea, we would never advocate for putting together a system and then just having it sit there waiting for a disaster or deployment opportunity to happen. Our view of things is we want to have it deployed and operating whatever the use case is on a regular basis. So have a high availability, a high capacity factor in use of that equipment. So maybe when you're waiting for something else to happen, you have it tied in at the substation or at the hydro plant or wherever, and it's doing frequency regulation services or voltage control services or energy shifting. You really want to do the stacked use cases of these battery systems to get the best economic use and business case for them. But the ability to do that, but also be able to relocate it in the event that it's needed more somewhere else. And then once that's done, if the situation is you move it back to where it was, you can. If it turns out that now that other location is a better place for it to stay and continue to provide services, then that's great. You have the flexibility. Yeah, yeah. Put it to work. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, you're going to pay for it. You put it to work. That's right. All right. Kurt Myers, Idaho National Laboratory. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Jay. That was Kurt Myers, Energy and Grid Systems Integration Group Lead at Idaho National Laboratory and principal on their new microgrid in a box technology. Kurt mentioned their next step was technology transfer that typically involves licensing the technology. I had the privilege of participating in one of those at Oak Ridge National Lab a few years ago. He also gave me the chance to set foot on that campus and see the latest innovations they were working on. If you ever have a chance to attend a showcase at a national lab, I'd highly recommend it. I want to thank Kurt for his time as well as John Ray at INL for setting this up. You can find plenty of pictures for this episode on energy-cast.com as well as on Instagram at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 174. Be sure to join us next week when we learn how one company is making aviation fuel safe for the friendly skies. Until then, I'm Jay Downhauer. We'll see you next time.